Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Rhino, elephant, lion, leopard, buffalo? Or giraffe, don't know. Well, some days, I like to call them red letter days. Still don't really know what that means. I think that's when you get paid. Anyway, some days you just think, yes, I'm happy to be alive. And I'm happy to be alive, one, because it's quite fun. And two, because I'm going to be talking about abandonment, which is one of my favourite topics. It's gritty, listener, it's the abandonment wound. I mean, we'll talk about self-abandonment, we'll talk about the outer child, we're going to talk about some brain stuff. I mean, honestly, uh, it's with Susan Anderson, who is basically one of the best experts on abandonment, in my opinion. So have a listen. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Little caveat, by the way, or just a side note, picture me in my attic in what feels like Saharan temperatures in a tracksuit. I'm Susan Anderson, and I'm a specialist in abandonment. I went through my own abandonment about 30 years ago that was so traumatic that I was, as a psychotherapist, I was motivated to do research and learn all that I could, and there was nothing written about the topic. It was not addressed in psychology. So I had to do all kinds of outside-of-the-box kind of research into animal psychology and and other fields, neuropsychology. And um, I was able to develop a, a lot of information that proved to be helpful to other people. So now I am an expert in abandonment and abandonment recovery. Well, I'm going to tell you, I've actually come across you on the internet, hearing you talk about abandonment, when often, if I'm in a triggered state, often into hyperarousal, I'll sort of Google a topic and maybe on YouTube find something and it sort of calms me down. And I think abandonment is such a fascinating topic. Should we start with the definition of abandonment, I guess? Well, abandonment is something universal. We all have a fear of abandonment. It is perfectly natural because we all were born and we all experience the contrast of being all safe and warm in a womb and then suddenly thrust out into a cold sort of new, scary environment, and that was quite a contrast. And then we experience over and over again during infancy being picked up and swaddled and comforted, and then maybe put down on a cold bassinet. And then once again, picked up, everything's blissful again, we're being fed, we feel the warmth, we feel the arms tight around us, and then once again, put down in a crib, perhaps, alone, in the dark, in the cold. And so we experience abandonment fear from all the contrast that we had when we were very young in infancy. And we continue to get triggered with that feeling as we go through life. It's part of us. It's etched into our emotional system. So it's a universal feeling. So that's really interesting because what comes up for me as I hear you talking about that is the importance of attachment. 
yes, attachment feels good. So we have attachment, which is wonderful. But with that attachment goes, what if something happened? What if the person died? What if they stopped loving us? So there's attachment and then there's a fear that runs underneath. And those people who've had a lot of traumatic experiences in childhood or even adult breakups have more anxiety alongside of their attachment. So it's the abandonment stuff, the abandonment fear and the primal shame that get triggered so easily when we're adults and we're enjoying or wanting attachment. Are there various types of abandonment? So I can think of emotional abandonment in childhood. Are there different categories of abandonment? Well, even if you had an idyllic family and everyone loved everyone and you were worshipped and and doted on as a child, um, you can still have abandonment fear because you still went to kindergarten, let's say, or you you, you went to nursery school and were left without your parents and maybe they were five minutes late picking you up. And we still have a natural fear of losing the attachment. So even people with perfect childhoods have a natural fear of abandonment. This is universal. But, you know, some of us went through having a parent who's an alcoholic. The parent is there, but not completely there. Sort of a kind of abandonment there. Or there was too much pressure and we never felt secure that we were living up to expectations Or one of our parents actually left and we always will feel, what could I have done to keep my father from leaving or whatever? So there are so many things that can happen in childhood. There can be bullying from other kids and the fear that somehow we're going to always let ourselves down and not be strong enough to handle the world. That all of these different experiences from childhood can sort of add to that primal abandonment fear from birth trauma and then can lead to insecurity later on in life. And as I hear you say primal abandonment fear, that makes me think of, you know, key survival instincts kicking in. Well, it's amazing, but primal abandonment fear is linked to key survival instincts because when you're in a relationship, let's say, and you feel insecure because you're afraid that maybe the person will fall out of love with you, the fear isn't just sort of a mild anxiety. It's a real difficult, painful fear. But what is unconscious to that fear is it's the feeling that your life depends on holding on to that relationship. And that comes from when you were an infant, your life did depend upon having an attachment you could count on. Yeah. Because you couldn't survive on your own. Adults can survive on our own. We can do it. But the fear isn't rational and it goes back that far. And it's kind of in conflict with the message that we're giving ourselves from an adult position. Of course, you can handle this. Of course, you can stand on your own two feet. Yes. But the feelings belie that because they feel so desperate and so frantic. And I think it's really important to drill in on that because I think there's a sort of shaming, almost external shaming or lack of validation, you know, sort of, oh, fear of abandonment, because sort of, you know, in a way has almost become a sort of car bumper sticker. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, well, well, everyone's got fear of abandonment. But actually, if you drill down into it, what's going on in your nervous system when that key survival element of abandonment gets triggered? Well, the fear of abandonment is more or less housed in your amygdala. It has become conditioned to fear breaking your attachments. 
So your amygdala sends all kinds of stress hormones. It triggers a release of stress hormones throughout the body. And that's a part of the brain, isn't it? That's a little... Yes, it is. Yeah. It's the, the part of the brain that is responsible for fear conditioning. And it's where we record our strong emotions. We're all born with an amygdala that's intact enough to record all of those sensations of birth and birth trauma. We don't have words for them when we're infants. We don't have words for a long time. But we have all of these sort of difficult-to-name emotions that come from the amygdala that get permanently recorded and can be triggered. Then there's another part of the brain, the hippocampus, which is more responsible for remembering the context of what happened? What event? Was it a train accident? What made us go through such powerful emotions? Um, the amygdala doesn't record the train accident. It records the emotions. The hippocampus gives us the context. Now, our hippocampus developed later, or it completed its development later than the amygdala. So, you know, we have all of these emotions at our core that may not be connected to actual memories, not because we were traumatized and it erased our memories, just because of the development of the brain. And those core emotions are very easily triggered and they seem all out of proportion to the event. And we may not know why we have these emotions, why are our emotions so intense? And of course, we struggle to you know, modulate them and control our behavior. God, it's so interesting because I went on a date a while ago and I've done a lot of work on abandonment trauma. Well, I've done a lot of work full stop, to be honest. And, um, you know, but it, it's really working. And still, I can get triggered on a date. And I was in a state, my body was in a state of complete panic. You know, not really, in terms of what I was looking around at, you know, in a cafe, there wasn't anything... <laughs> it was going to harm me but my body and my window of tolerance in terms of what I could tolerate I mean I was just in the edge of it yeah it's the survival instinct it's fight flee or freeze so you could have any one of those feelings like feeling hyperactive which means your body's preparing you to run or walk a long distance to escape the wild tiger that's been attacking you or freeze where you become inhibited and wooden and you have a hard time knowing what to say. Your jaw feels too stiff to speak, you know, the freeze response. And then fight, which is sort of an anger and, and you have a hard time speaking in a nice, calm tone and there's such intensity. So you can have this flee, freeze and flight or any one of those three or even interchangeably from a trigger and here you are experiencing intense emotions and you don't even know why you were triggered so intensely but you just know as an adult now you have to deal with it you have to find a way to act however calmly you can in this situation and the brain is so powerful i've found during my years of therapy that it can come up with so many different thoughts and reasons in real time you know, oh, well, obviously that person's not right. Oh, obviously I'm not living in the right house. I mean, you know, it just could be numerous things. How do people access that stuff? When I guess it's one, very painful. Two, is it quite complex to be able to get to that core emotion? Well, actually not. Because believe it or not, we are now talking about the primal abandonment wound. And 
even just hearing it validates the feelings, even if you still don't get in touch with your core primal abandonment feelings because we're in the middle of a normal day, let's say. But just talking about it actually begins to palpate that part of us and gives us permission for having those feelings inside, deep inside. The hidden shame that is so shame, we are ashamed of shame. It's so buried, we, we're not even conscious of it, but we know it's there. We get secondary proof that it's there when we you know, feel anxious and it. it's performing, for instance. And the primal abandonment fear. And this is the beginning of healing. The second part is that is part of being human and it's part of attachment to be afraid of losing the attachment. We have to work with that powerful attachment energy in order to heal ourselves and in order to be stronger as an adult because it's the adult self that's going to guide us through our life and make the right choices. So that attachment energy, once it's thwarted by abandonment, by not having everything work out perfectly, by being disappointed in a relationship, you know, it gets thwarted, that powerful attachment energy. That thwarting is tremendously powerful in terms of applying that to our relationship with ourselves. So when you have thwarted attachment energy, you know, the anxiety or the sadness or the loneliness or the, the feeling of heartbreak or whatever a person is going through, that energy can be transformed into self-love. It can be used to have your adult self connect with your emotional self in a powerful way. It's not just, oh, love yourself. You know, no. you should love yourself. It's so easy to say that and very difficult yeah, to do. That's one of my bet noirs, I have to say. Yes. You'd be like, oh, just yes. love yourself. I'm like, mm -hmm. Yes. Once you start loving yourself, yeah. you'll be able to find yeah. someone. Yeah. Who and how do you do that? But when you learn how to take that thwarted attachment energy and use that to create a relationship and actually build it with an imagined inner child that you kind of have to create yeah. from your own emotions using your imagination and your adult self, you can use that attachment energy to build a powerful relationship that changes your behavior because you don't just think your way out of abandonment, you do your way out. So once you begin to develop that new relationship, it's active. You don't just sit and, you know, meditate on it. You take it into your behavioral realm and take new positive steps in your life. Yes. Self-loving steps. I, I really have a sense that you, I mean, and you started by saying that you experienced something, I think I heard you say 30 years ago, that made you want to look at abandonment. But, you know, in, in my own sort of, I guess, in, I mean, I'm going to call it abandonment recovery. I've been fascinated with observing what works and what doesn't. And I really relate to what you're saying about turning that thwarted energy into into self-love and, and making it a very active doing thing in almost like felt sense, felt in the body. And I do think that's what's got me a lot better, actually. Well, when you were describing the situation, you were on a date and you were feeling intense emotions. You just said panic. Okay, so if you sort of translate that into, a, you know, more of a therapeutic model, you could say... Using your imagination, you could say little will and picturing yourself very small and defenseless and innocent. Little you was so scared and feeling so anxious 
and maybe feeling annoyed with Big U because Big U wasn't helping. You know, Will, the adult, was just not knowing what to do. And little U is so scared and so anxious and wanting somebody to, to take care of him and make him feel safe. Well, whose job is it? It's your job. So when you find yourself in a situation and your feelings are so uncomfortable, you can say, oh, well, at least this is an opportunity for me to actually reach out and connect somehow with my inner child, my inner child within my inner child, a very young, helpless inner child, and really work because this is an opportunity to show compassion and acceptance, not try to talk this kid out of his feelings, not there, there, stop feeling that, don't worry, I'm here. No, no, I hear your feelings and I appreciate you having these feelings and I love you with these feelings and I won't ever abandon you even if someone else does. I'm always here and I accept your feelings. So it's an opportunity to actually practice self-acceptance, self-love on, on a very practical level. One little hint, it needs to be written to be really effective. Doing it in your mind is not quite effective enough. It has to be written. Now that reminds me of John Bradshaw because in his book on shame which it's not about abandonment but I'd like to talk a bit more about shame actually because I've heard you mention it a couple of times and it's such a stagnating awful blanket to sort of you know create sort of stagnosis in people and he speaks a lot in healing the shame that binds you and he recommends writing out affirmations I'm not always a huge fan of affirmation but it makes sense to me why he would say that why is shame a sort of such a response within adults or maybe children as well john bradshaw is a pioneer i'm not a fan of affirmations the writing is more a dialogue between the adult self and and the inner child got it the affirmations it's too easy to say i love you just the way you are and the inside voice that you don't write down is saying yeah right if if only i wasn't such a basket case (laughs) or something like that yeah yeah it's too easy to write an affirmation and have a whole big exception going on under the surface that makes sense to me so create more of a dialogue in the written yes so it's a dialogue between your adult self and your inner child self and then it helps to create a third character called the outer child so that you can blame all of your bad patterns and your crazy behaviors and your addictions and your compulsions and all of that on another older child so that you can leave your inner child innocent and blameless. You need that sort of fall guy, the outer child, to sort of blame everything on so that you can have a concept of your inner child. But you asked about shame. And shame is part of the abandonment syndrome. Because when you were first born, you had that abandonment fear being picked up from the cradle and then let down again in that contrast that you didn't have words for between how good it feels for connection and how bad it feels when the connection is broken. But when you get to be two or three, you start to have more power. You start to get cute and coo coo and blow bubbles to bring people to the crib side. You start to develop a personality. Dad, dad, mama. You start to use your own personality to bring people into the attachment. So when you succeed and, you know, your little cry uh, brings mommy or daddy to the crib, you can feel powerful. 
But sometimes you go, and it doesn't work. And then you blow bubbles and mama, dada, and still doesn't work. So when you have the moments when your attempt to exercise your infant power, you know, your toddler power, and it doesn't work, you feel powerless, you feel worthless, you're not enough. And you don't have words for this. Mm. So it's a wordless, you're not special enough, you're just not powerful enough, you just don't have it. So we all have a reservoir of emotions within us recorded in the amygdala and everything in there is indelible, that feels we're not enough. We're just not up to par. Other people are above us. There are people we just can't compete with because they're special and we're not, and so on and so forth. And we all have this. And it's very shame-ridden to have this, so we hide it because we try to present ourselves. But some of us have more of this than others. Some of us have more intrusive shame than others, And of course, it's based on what happened to us in our childhoods and to what extent we were able to command our environment and how positive we were able to create relationships and so forth. There are so many factors that could have to do with our biochemistry as children and what we were able to process. But shame is part and parcel of abandonment. Abandonment is, I'm afraid of losing the connection. And shame is, I'm afraid I'm not worthy of the connection. Mm -hmm. It's that time where we have a little break for an ad and I'll be back shortly. I'm not going to abandon you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's so powerful, isn't it? Because, you know, it's funny. Today, there's a situation at work and I, I noticed that someone wasn't getting back to me. I'm quite good at sort of working out what might be going on with someone. So I'll I'll sort of back that part of me interestingly this person hasn't sort of really been in touch for the last week and we normally we're in touch quite a lot and it triggered my abandonment thing and I thought oh oh god maybe they maybe they don't want to work with me anymore oh god I've clearly done something wrong and I'm using that as an example because I guess we can talk about how abandonment can come up in relationships in terms of romantic relationships with partners but also it can come up in friendships work relationships, I don't know, maybe even running into strangers. Oh, yes. It comes up a lot in work. I mean, in romantic, that's the real... Yeah, that's like the melting... Know, that's, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like, woof, light the match, throw it in. Yes. And work relationships and friendships, because if someone fails to call me back, maybe they don't respect me very much. Maybe they respect him. He called him back, but They didn't call me back. Well, that's because I'm too nice. I'm too easy to get along with. I don't have any status. It's all my fault. 
how I conduct myself. And it's so subliminal because we can be at work in a work situation and have these feelings and they can be so subliminal, we don't even notice we're having them. Two minutes later, we're smiling and laughing and we're managing something that requires having confidence and we're doing fine. But in the meantime, all of these feelings were traveling through us based on these little, you know, minor, you know, triggers. So there, there's always this subliminal kind of dialogue. And some of us have more of a disastrous dialogue than others. But, you know, it, this is going on. And it doesn't mean that we're a basket case or can't handle work or social situation. It just means that we do take things personally. And the shame, the hidden shame is so easily triggered. Yeah. But it's so, we get through it. We're so used to it. We, we can continue, you know, living our lives. And I guess it sort of makes me think of coming back to what we were talking about earlier and what you were talking about, which is about learning to love yourself. And it makes yeah. me think there's a sort of bedrock to it, a sort of root to it. And I guess in a way, is it creating new neural pathways? I think so. I mean, I don't, there isn't any hard and fast science to that idea that I know of. They know that attachment has some impact on the development of the vagal nerve. I mean, they've done a lot of work, but the work that we do in adulthood to create a new relationship with the self and even create this personification where we have big you and little you and create a dialogue. I don't know any work with an fMRI where they study which part of the brain it stimulates and whether it creates permanent changes. But I would suspect that it does because if you do this work on a semi-regular basis a couple of times a week and you have a written dialogue, I think it does create a permanent change. And how the change manifests in a positive way is that you will continue to have emotions because we don't change the amygdala. That stuff is indelible and it's easy to trigger. The amygdala is really working well if it's easy to trigger. Yeah. That's the idea. It's there to protect us, you know. But if it's used as a basis for self-compassion, then we actually love ourselves for having vulnerability and emotions. And because the love is so much a part of the habit that is created from doing the dialogues and so forth, once we get into the work, once we have that relationship, it is something that we, we really do feel a lot of self-acceptance where we used to feel sort of, I don't like myself. Why am I so weak? Why do I have to take everything so personally? Other people seem to be more resilient than I. We lose that self-commentary. We don't lose it completely, but we lose the, the edge off of it because we now have an unconditional self-love going on. And it's self-acceptance, really, of ourselves as emotional human beings. Tell me how people can come across your work and workbooks and things like that to help if people are listening and maybe they're just getting started on their own abandonment? That's a really good question because so many times people think they can just do this by osmosis. Love yourself and it's just not something you can do by osmosis. Maybe a little bit gets in but not enough to make the difference. So I have four books on abandonment on how to begin to develop this relationship. Some of the books have real instructions, you know, there's a workbook. And then I also, I run workshops and I have Zoom workshops and in-person workshops. 
And of course, then you're doing the exercises and experiencing this material in a group of people, which is powerful. If you've ever like meditated in a group or done yoga in a group or anything, you know how it just enhances the whole experience. And so there's a lot of direct help because it doesn't happen by osmosis. It is a process that you actually have to do. It's really a doing program. People really want to think their way out of abandonment and they have to do their way out. And the doing is very productive. The thinking is just obsession. Can some people react better to abandonment than others? Or does the trauma need to be more obvious or bigger than others? I guess I'm thinking there's so many different factors involved in each human. Being rejected by someone you love tends to bring most people to their knees, men and women. I've had to scrape many people off the floor. And this is someone who never experienced, let's say, um, any instability before. It is so painful. But when you crash after being rejected yet again, with this work, it's amazing, but because big you now knows how to take care of little you, you go through all the same pain, but you kind of pick yourself up and put yourself back on the horse more quickly. The recovery time is reduced. And once you do that, you lose your fear. Then you can try again because it was only a week or three days yeah. or a month or whatever, but it's time limited. Whereas when you don't have some work going for you, when you're not you know, built up in that way, the fear of a new relationship is pretty considerable and a lot of people don't try again. It makes me think also of abandoning the self. It's self-abandonment yeah. because in childhood we can be abandoned because we can't take care of ourselves without, you know, walking off a cliff or something. But when we're adults, we know stay away from the edge of the cliff. We can take care of ourselves. So the kind of abandonment that we have in adulthood is self-abandonment, and we manifest it by all kinds of self-sabotage. And isn't that an awful thing, to self-abandon one, you know, to abandon oneself? I mean, that's just... Yes, if self-abandonment is something, it's constant. I'm on a diet, so I had friends visiting me all weekend. And I was in a state of self-abandonment the whole weekend, eating food. I can't afford to eat that food, but I ate it. I was self-abandoning. Yeah. Um, so I was having a wonderful time, but whatever anxiety it produced in having friends spend the weekend, I committed self-abandonment. And then all of a sudden I realized it and I thought, oh, why am I doing that? I love myself. And it's making me think, you know, I can self-abandon on a daily basis what I don't do now is I don't shame me for self-abandoning myself. Does that make That's sense? That's the self-love. Yeah. It is the self-love. Yeah. Yes. Because it's like, I'm not going to pile on like, oh, why have you done that again? You know, the self-love versus the self-abandonment and the anger at the self is because we realize that perfection is an outer child behavior. Once we learn that we're not perfect, being imperfect is terrific. Oh. Other people will like us for it. We'll make them feel more comfortable by being imperfect. Once we get that down, that's a big piece of it. I don't know if we've mentioned this phrase, but it's a wound, isn't it? It's an abandonment wound. Or would, yes. or would you go even bigger than that? Is it a spiritual? It is existential. I mean, spiritual is such a hard word to define. Yeah. To me, the deepest word is abandonment. It is the base of the existential wound, the fear of death, because fear of death 
this fear of abandonment, that life itself will sever you, that you won't be able to survive. So to me, it speaks to the depth, but since words are really relatively unimportant, different words mean different things to different people, there are many different ways of of referring to it. I find abandonment just simply says it, but there are other ways of referring to it. But what we're looking at there is the basic core. You get born, you have fear, and then it it gets replicated in, in patterns throughout your whole entire life and it triggers those feelings and shame comes out. It's like getting right to the basic stuff of the basic core i really can't recommend your work enough to people and one of the things that i love about doing this podcast is i only speak to people who i think are really brilliant at what they do and you are one of those people you know thank you very much and, and you've helped me and it's brilliant susan thank you so much i hope you get to speak again but it's been such a pleasure oh thank you will it was a great interview thank you Well, we tease you, we tease you, listener, and we do talk a little bit about attachment in the interview with Susan, and we're going to have more on attachment in a few weeks. Um, Susan Anderson for Prime Minister, I think. Let me know what you think. But Susan, another friend of the Wellbeing Lab. Well, here we go. A lot of messages. Someone's been in touch. Just wanted to get in touch on the subject of cold water swimming. I'm 53 and I started cold water immersion 579 days ago. That's very specific. Now I'm wondering, are you counting the days on the diary? Are you crossing them off? In brackets, sea swims or cold showers every day. As Bryony Gordon put it, it makes you feel like a fucking legend. Well, there we go. I'm not in perimenopause yet and feel a sense of wellness. There's a craving for the cold and if I feel unsettled, I head to the sea. It calms and clears the mind and brings a sense of clarity as if my body is working properly. My preference is for the sea to be below eight degrees for a real freeze, sub 10 degrees, and I wear gloves and a one millimeter jacket. I have exposed thighs all year round. This is, I think, the best message we've ever had. Our best swims are Boxing Day and New Year's Day if the stony beach looks frosty. I cannot recommend it enough. Thank you very much. Um, Wow, Will. On Sunday, I did my very first cold water dip. Not a swim as such, I paddled. I was quite apprehensive, but once I was in the lake, I loved it. I wasn't that cold, as you said. I tried not to squeal like a piglet too. It was with a group of other women who did a breathwork session beforehand. I'm going through perimenopause and suffering with extreme anxiety. Maybe another topic for you, yes. Thank you for the suggestion. And I'm hoping cold water therapy and more yoga will help. Thanks, Will. Love listening to your podcast. My pleasure. Hey, Will and Wellbeing Lab team. That's you, Amy. Just listened to your great episode on open water swimming. Loved it. Open slash cold, not quite ice swimming, has been an amazing help to me over a difficult year. I've always been a swimmer, but up until last year, that was to the confines of a pool slash lido, occasionally a warm sea. I sadly lost my mum to cancer recently and spent much of her last few months helping to care for her at home in Bristol. It's undoubtedly been one of the hardest but strangely most rewarding experiences of my life so far. Swimming in open water was and still is one of the biggest helps for my own well-being and, quite frankly, sanity. Uh, There are many reasons I could list, but these are the top two. Connection to nature, with sky and views surrounding me. That's what I felt was a comforting physical experience. For me, a reminder that we're all held by something larger than just ourselves alone. Normally me, it's a muffin. Number two, the flow of my movement and breath together. It really has helped on many occasions to calm and reset me. Whenever I swim now, I always feel super connected to my mum. I've not said it out loud, but I'm pretty sure there's some link of the feeling between being held in the womb and being held by natural water. I think so. I'll leave it there. Thanks for a great podcast. 
My pleasure. Will, yes, I swear by cold water swimming. It's really helped me with my grief over the last couple of years. And I've met some lovely new friends through it. There's a group of us who meet regularly at the beach, do meditation and breath work, and then a dip in the sea. This is just so cool. I never get over how initially horrific it feels to first jump in the freezing cold North Sea, though, I bet. Amy, I think cold water swimming's hit a little bit of a, um, a stream. I'm very pleased. Well, I love the cold water swimming. I did try and go swimming the other day. Turned up. It was in the Lido and they didn't accept cash. Here's a good lesson for you people. I looked at the woman, I said, can I pay cash? She said, we only take cards. I said, I only have cash. She said, we don't take cash. I turned around and walked off. There was, I mean, there was literally nothing else to say. I had a choice in that moment though, because I thought, do I get angry? And I thought, well, I'm not gonna get angry. It's not the woman's fault, even though I did feel quite cross towards her. So there you go, we always have a choice. My choice was to not be angry, accept it, move on. Email hello at wellbeinglabpodcast.com, Twitter at the Wellbeing Lab, Instagram and Facebook at the Wellbeing Lab Podcast. Next week, we are, this is a, this is a really good one, you see, and I've never seen it before. We're exploring the relationship between money and mental health. And let me tell you, it was an eye-opener, a big eye-opener, because it's not just about money, it's about how you can your brain can cope with doing admin, you know, it's, it's all these various things, and it's fantastic. Please join myself and Amy. Until then, have a lovely time. Love you lots. Did you know the Wellbeing Lab is produced by Audio AF and is part of the Acast Creator Network? It's true. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.